Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. And we have some special guests today. We have on the show Scott Ryan, the legend, our good friend. Uh, he co-hosts the Red Room podcast. He is a uh, publisher of the Blue Rose magazine, and he also is an author, and we've got so much to talk about. Who else did you bring with you, Scott? Well, I brought the sweetest, nicest person in the whole world, the sweet to my sour, my good friend and writing partner, Erin O'Neill. I am very happy to be here. I'm also an author and I'm a newbie to Twin Peaks. Uh, so Scott finally convinced me to uh, check it out and I've now watched it once, but I have a feeling five more times, maybe 10 more times is in my future. Yes, <laughs> no. always, always. And you guys have a book coming out in May. I mean, that's really exciting. I, I'm amazed you want to work with Scott, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do lay awake at night sometimes wondering what choices I've made with my life. But overall, I think, you know, we, we started this book as kind of a, a random idea one day, and it's really turned into something that we are both very proud of. So I'm excited to share it. And the name of the book is But, Could, but Couldn't I Do That? Is that right? Yeah, it rolls right off the tongue, as you it can does. see. I mean, it's just one of those titles. It is. That it's is beautiful. Butter. It's yeah. a self-publishing book. I mean, it's about. It's really about uh, self-publishing. And my first thing is, is why would you, uh, why would you give all your secrets away? I mean, you guys are self-publishing, and uh, I mean, how long have you been doing it now, for uh, Scott? I mean, you've been doing it for several years now. Well, the re you know, Agent Cooper says that secrets are bad. <laughs> and he, you know, and so because he said that, we wanted to give our secrets away. That is very important. But also, um, honestly, we both learned so much. And a lot of what I learned was through you guys, you know, doing your book. Um, and there is mention of the Twin Peaks Unwrapped book in But Couldn't I Do That? I talk about the, because yours was the first book that I did the chapter titles, like mm -hmm. having like an art thing and I suggest I like that. that a lot. Um, yeah, I really like how your guys' book turned out, how the look of it is hmm. is really good. Um Aaron that's is, you. That's your that's your doing though, that you made sure that we look good. Well, and that's hard to do because let's face <laughs> it, you guys are made for podcasts. <laughs> the looks for podcasts. Oh, oh thank if, you. if we could make a book, anybody could write a book. Oh, right. With, and, with the and, right guidance, with the right guidance. And that's what you're saying this book is gonna help with. Yeah, and we also are very excited because Courtney Stallings is editing it. So, you know, we have the Blue Rose editor in there and there's definitely a lot of talk of Twin Peaks. Um, but I will let Aaron explain what the book is. So we really do kind of go through from point A to point B, from conceptualization of an idea and the, the storytelling foundations, which is what a lot of my work in the professional field is based in. Um, everything to discussion about whether or not to put a copyright on, on your 
on your work or you know how to create a, an intentional and concise cover design that is both appealing but also tells a little bit of the narrative that you're going to be sharing with readers so we go through every single step of the process and what's great about this is that you get to read about all of scott's mistakes throughout this process <laughs> we both share our experience and you know i published my first book in 27 or sorry 2019 um lost track of time over the last yeah. pandemic and and so we both have learned a lot, but we've also done some very different things. So what's great about this book is that it's not just one one angle. You get to hear from two different self-published authors who have gone down different avenues. And then we have a whole appendix of other authors who have gone both traditional and self-publishing. And you get to see what their experiences were like and why they chose the avenues that they did. So we really do give you all of the information you could possibly need about the world of publishing and how to make it work for your particular situation and your goals in, in writing. And Erin, why did you want to write this book? I am a storyteller at heart. I believe mm. that everyone has a powerful story to tell. Scott will sit here and tell you that no one cares and no one will listen. <laughs> I, I am. Um, I think the sweet to the sour was a good description because I'm. My whole motivation through everything that I do is to tell people that their voice is, is important and that their story matters and. All of the work that I do is now supporting those first time published authors that really want to put their work out into the world and make that difference in one person's life. And so I think this is a really valuable book for that person who just has something to tell the world. Um, and whether five people read it or five million, um, it's changing one, one reader at a time. And that's why I do what I do. And it's been fun because as Courtney's been going through the book, she talks a lot about how funny it is to read Aaron, who is very positive and, you know, from a different generation than I am. Are you technically a millennial or? I am. I, yeah, so am. She, she's a millennial and I'm a Gen X, so I think no one cares about me or anything <laughs> I do. So she'll write these really cheerleading, great motivational speeches. And then I come in and talk about how Amazon is gonna take all your money and, you know, it's gonna be rough and, and the corporate side that FMP has been eaten alive at, you know, that I, I deal with all the time because we've had different experience. Aaron helps a lot of people, I guess story coaching might be the right way to say, where, you know, she has a lot of one-on-one -on -one personal experience with people where the work I've done has sort of been a lot with corporations and fighting with Amazon and our distributor and all those things that, and that's to me why this book is so amazing because you honestly do have two completely different paths of how people have published. And I think, you know, why are we talking about this on a Twin Peaks podcast? Good question, listener, who is just like, <laughs> what? I thought for sure Ben and Brian were gonna act out the scene at One-Eyed Jacks. <laughs> Why am I next tuning week, in for this? Next week, next week. <laughs> maybe, but maybe. I, th I think that with Twin Peaks people, they're artistic and we all have something to share and want to be in that world. And whether you're self-publishing or going with a regular publisher or like getting your art uh, out there where there's so many people who do Twin Peaks art, we talk you through social media, how to use it. You know, you guys have done great with your social media doing Twin Peaks Unwrapped, but it's a shitload of work. I yeah. mean, you know, and you also know, if you don't tweet, you don't sell. So we walk them through um, the social media 
platforms, which are um, Tic Tac and Fake Book, and what's your Instapuke. 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 So we we actually give you a a book title that was um, conceptualized out of my backyard. Um, I believe it's A Deer in the Feeder, which may be our very next book. But we, we take <laughs> you through, if you were to write a book about deers, <laughs> um, what that might look like on social media according to hashtags or looking up similar accounts or using different promotional tools for this one particular um, fake book so that you can kind of understand how all of those integrate together to better share your narrative and en engage people with your art form. And I think I think, you know, what Scott said about Twin Peaks being such an artistic based show and what I have heard and both witnessed um, in the community that Twin Peaks has is that it is very much about interpretation and art. Um, and so if you have your own perception of what Twin Peaks represents or what Laura Palmer is going through, one of the methods that you have available to you is self-publishing and, and writing and expressing those things, whether it's in magazine or book form or online platforms, there are so many tools in this book that can help you reach the level of success and engagement and audiences around the world, um, all in one, in one publication one modernized publication. There are tons of books out there on self-publishing, but this is certainly not your standard how-to guide and it is relevant. And Scott doesn't even know what TikTok is and it's in there, so. Yeah. It is I so weird to hear, Aaron, you're so positive. Or just, and then Scott, <laughs> like, this is like, yeah, it's, it's a blow my mind. I hope off on him. I hope yeah. <laughs> well, we're, we're like Sour Patch Kids, right? Sweet, yeah. but then sour. Yeah, it, it really is funny. And Ben, I, you know, I feel like a lot of times I break Ben's heart with my uh, cynicism, but I, I really don't think I'm a cynical person. I really don't. I have a lot of hope. I just don't believe it's ever going to work out. I mean, it's just, it's not why I do the things that I do. I do them because I'm an artist in that truest sense of the word, which means I don't have a choice. And we do talk a little bit about that, about ideas and why you would move forward. And it's because you can't not have that. That's why I do all the things I do. I don't have a choice. I have to mm, do them. Right. But I also believe they're not going to work out well in the end. <laughs> um, <laughs> for expectations. That way right. you're surprised. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's just part of it. We have a ton of Twin Peaks people in the book because our appendix is we asked a question of different people and Andreas who I believe we're sharing this podcast with which we're honored to he is in the book saying what his experience is Charlotte mm. Stewart uh, wrote about her experience in the book Brad Dukes talks us through how he did his Twin Peaks um, oral history as well as China Beach Josh Minton I don't think you guys know him um, <laughs> he you're good he, he's real quiet in the Twin Peaks world. I don't know. He never I, tweets. He never no. goes on social media at all. No, he's like a hermit. Yeah, yeah, a that guy. Hermit. Yeah. He should get his own podcast, or maybe two podcasters. Yeah, yeah who yeah. knows? But he's just—he's not that guy. Okay, but and somehow we got him. I think Aaron had a connection to Josh, and so he writes about how he got his um, skeleton key through Book Baby because neither of us had experience with Book Baby, so we mm. got that. And how many authors do we get? Like fifteen or something? I don't even remember. Uh, most of them were your connections. I'm not gonna lie yeah, so I'm I, still new enough to the world that I do have that bright and cheery outlook <laughs> so. I love it because so many times in the book we might like Aaron is really for Kickstarter starting and I'm not 
and then you read in the back where someone might say, oh, you've got to kickstart. And then, you know, someone else says, kickstarting is horrible. <laughs> so it's not just our opinions. We got a lot of other authors. And it's not just about self-publishing. There's people who have never self-published and they will, t oh, and David Bushman, how could I forget David Bushman? Luckily, he <laughs> never listens to you guys, so he won't know that I forgot. But he also talks about his um, work with, FMP, but also with Applause, which is a very, a big publisher, um, mm. and the difference of what you get through all of them. I love that you kind of like lay out all the options, because I think somebody who might just getting started in publishing or wanting to do self-publishing, to be able to have a book like this where you say, you're not saying this is the only way to do it. You have to go this way. It sounds to me like you're saying there's a lot of different options. And like, I we just want you to be educated in what, what these options you know could lead you to. Yeah, and I talk a lot about starting the Blue Rose, which was really fun. In some ways, this is almost a memoir for me. I mean, Aaron is a lot smarter than I am when it comes to, let me finish, let me finish. <laughs> and that's not a blanket statement, settle down. Um, when it comes to the technology behind the stuff, you know, that is not my specialty. And so, but I have all these real world experiences. You know, I was doing the Letterman book. We had to do so many things of, you know, the difference between being this little guy that's putting something out and then trying to get something in Barnes and Noble, all mm. of those corporate things. So I write about that. I write about um, the Blue Rose and how Twin Peaks archives tweet um, he tweeted about the Blue Rose before we were ready to announce it and what that caused on the back end when you're not, when you don't have a website set up. So there's a lot of really uh, personal stories along with the how to's uh, to do it. Hmm. So some, uh, so people listening, where would you go and get, get this book? Where would you pre-order it? Yeah, so you can pre-order it um, at, I believe, scottryanproductions.com, correct? And then you can also go to fishtailpublishing.org, um, which is my small business for um, both my own works and then also helping other authors get their works published. So it's available for pre-order coming out May 15th. Right, nice. and there is an ebook that you can get on Amazon. And I also have it up at thebluerosemag.com. So uh, mm. pretty much everywhere I am, that book is as well. And then, you know, follow us on Instapuke and Fakebook and TikTok. <laughs> TikTok? You don't have one for Twitter. Uh, no, Twitter I actually because like. It's legit. And I'm not on Twitter because it's too overstimulating for me. Probably because all of your tweets are just constantly coming in and I, you're the only person I would follow. So. Well, you can follow Twin Peaks Unwrap. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to download the app again just for you guys. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and we'll and we'll have these links in the show notes as well. Always, we always have the links in the show notes too. So Scott, you're here about that, but you've got so much other things to share with us. I mean, you're also, I mean, you're so busy. You're also got your moonlighting book uh, coming out soon. Yes. So the moonlighting book comes out June first. Uh, it is turned in. I can't fix any mistakes that I find now. It's I saw lots. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> dang. Um, I'm so excited for it. The Twin Peaks connection for Moonlighting is that David Patrick Kelly, Jerry Horn is in the book, and Ray Wise is in the book because they both were on Moonlighting. 
And Ray Wise is actually starting to be a stalker of mine because he's also in the Maslin 15 for 15 book that I did. And I keep telling Ray Wise, stay the hell out of my books, man. <laughs> wow. I mean, can I do something that doesn't involve Ray Wise for once? Um, so I'm really excited about it. I, I love my Letterman book. There's a lot of emotion to it, but I actually think the Moonlighting book is the best book that I've done as far as covering a TV show that really tells a dramatic story. The behind the scenes stuff of Moonlighting was insane. And that book really comes off the wheels starting in chapter nine. Um, up to that point, it's sort of a nostalgic faced look at it because I, you know, I follow the tra trajectory. That's a good word. I mean, obviously, I don't use it very often because I stumbled over it. But of the series where at first they were all very happy and Bruce and Sybil were getting along and the show's popular. But then in the third season, man, that show goes crazy. And everyone was willing to tell me all these really juicy, crazy stories. <laughs> I'm excited because I pre-ordered that. and Me too. I heard, yeah, I remember growing up and my mom watching it. And I, I caught episodes and that's how I knew who Bruce Willis was. Um, but I do remember the uh, rumors of them two not getting along or there being some sort of drama. And it's so weird because I watch a show, I'm like, but they're in love. And they look so happy. How? As a kid, I didn't get that. I, I had a disconnect between real people and people on TV, but. I'm well, you know, it, it's interesting because uh, David Bushman edited this, the Moonlighting book. And we, this is going to shock you, but we actually argued during the making of the book because <laughs> he was surprised when I would like set up the history behind it because he's like, well, everybody knows that. And I was like, no, you know, everyone who lived through the eighties knows that, yeah, but it yeah. doesn't mean that Brian, when he was a little kid understood. Cause one of the points yeah, that I make is that in nine, this show was on from 85 to 89. And I'm like, there wasn't 24 hours a day entertainment news. And so, people were not as savvy at understanding that there's a difference between Bruce Willis and David Addison or mm. that it wasn't real. Like, of course they must really love each other. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, now some of it seems kind of quaint because the world has changed and we know everything. Like, I mean, like you guys already have the scripts to season four of Twin Peaks and have been going <laughs> over it. What? <laughs> <laughs> Because We're not telling you that comes out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and that just wasn't how it was. So none of these stories have honestly been told because that isn't what reporters covered back then. They didn't yeah. cover what really went on in the actual production of it. And so that's what was exciting for me as a fan of the show is to answer questions that I've always wondered about. That's yeah. awesome. You got tons of people that were behind the scene and involved with the show. I mean, it, it must tell me more about that. I mean, it must that's a whole process of having to get interviews with people. And it's really kind of crazy because I am friends with Sybil Shepherd. <laughs> we've I finished the book as far as doing interviews, I think, in August. And like I talked to Sybil yesterday for an hour, like we wow. talked probably once a week 
and just catch up. Like Sybil's my buddy. Um, you sure you it's know. not Jen pretending? <laughs> no, it does seem crazy. I mean, I know it really, it is, it is nuts for me. Like, uh, because, you know, I've interviewed a lot of the Twin Peaks cast, but believe it or not, Cheryl Lee is not just like calling me up saying, Scott, what'd you have for dinner? I wish Aww. she was. I mean, I, I would take that call. I have time. Uh, so yeah, I, I talked to Sybil and Curtis Armstrong who played Herbert Viola, but he was in New Girl and Revenge of the Nerds uh -huh. and Risky Business. Mm. He was great. Elise Beasley played Mr. Pesto. Um, and then all of the writers, um, most of the directors, all of the featured directors, like Alan Arkish, who you may not know his name, but he directed on Ally McBeal and L.A. Law and Hill Street Blues and Fame. And it's just like a very famous television director. And his stories are insane. Like he held back nothing about the craziness of, of working with them. Nice. That's awesome. And Moonlighting, the, that book is coming out in June. And where yes. can you pre-order that book? At the same place. Uh, that's available at fayettevillemafiapress.com. Um, Scott Ryan Productions, Blue Rose Mag. And, you know, I'm doing a lot of press for it. We're hope I actually just found out that Vanity Fair is going to do an excerpt from the book. Isn't wow. that crazy? Wow. That is crazy. That's awesome. What issue that's of so, Vanity Fair some... do you know? Uh, they said two weeks before the release, but I just found out yesterday they want to do, they did a Shakespeare episode. If anyone is a fan of Moonlighting, there's a very famous episode that's all written in iambic pentameter. And they, they do The Taming of the Shrew and that. It was the most expensive hour of television ever created. In fact, hmm. it's similar to a budget of Game of Thrones. Like wow. in today's dollars, it's the same as a Game of Thrones. Like that's crazy for like 1986. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's what they want to focus on. Uh, Emmy Magazine is doing the black and white episode. They're doing an excerpt. So there's a lot of interest. It's funny when you step outside of Twin Peaks, people are actually interested <laughs> outside of the little bubble of um, stuff. So it's been very exciting. That's awesome. But since you brought up Twin Peaks, we should go and talk about Twin Peaks related stuff. Uh, you've got this Lynch drive-in thing happening in May. Can you share more about that? Yeah, everyone should go out to the Mahoning Drive-In Facebook page. And I think the website is mahoningdit.com. May 14th, 15th, and 16th in Mahoning, Pennsylvania, Faye Merman is hosting a Lynch drive-in. It's going to be an exciting weekend. They're showing five Lynch films. On Friday, it's Eraserhead and Blue Velvet. On mm. Saturday, it's Firewalk With Me and Mulholland Drive. And then Sunday, it's Dune all shown in 35 millimeter wow. which i am super excited about because i've actually never seen uh, mulholland drive in 35 millimeter 
And I will be hosting Q&As on Friday and Saturday, Friday with just Charlotte Stewart and I, which I'm so excited to get to talk to Charlotte by herself and let her have the center stage for Eraserhead. And then Saturday, we're doing a Briggs family reunion. So we'll have Dana Ashbrook and Charlotte mm -hmm. Stewart to talk about Twin Peaks. And um, they will be doing pictures and signing things everything will be covid safe and charlotte has been vaccinated so we don't have to worry about that that was my first question when charlotte said she was coming i was like i cannot kill charlotte stewart that yeah. cannot <laughs> be what i'm known for i mean there may be some people like uh killing hank would that be such a big deal i mean you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 chris mulkey if i kill him is it that big of a deal come on i heard you're um, performing saturday night you're 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 actually going to be headliner right before F.U. Tammy. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying. I want to see, because they were going to have Rebecca Del Rio, but she pulled out. Um, You're going to be doing that. I, I wanted to sing Yolando from yeah. Mulholland Drive and No Stars. <laughs> I listened to the podcast. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate I it. Yeah, that was uh, you had a great show. I recommend everybody listen to that after the show as well. Yeah, that uh, yeah, we interviewed Faye yep. uh, to, to talk about it. And she she said fuck you tammy is that's the name of the band uh they'll be performing lynch songs on saturday and they're they, really good yeah have you heard them i haven't yes. ever heard them before um we we had someone on the show who uh mentioned them and i actually played one of their songs at the end of our podcast um but yeah they're really good really so good. do they do just you and I, because that's Aaron's favorite Twin Peaks song. Oh God, and... uh, maybe you could ask. They could probably do that. Cause I'm trying to get Aaron to come and help me sell Blue Rose magazines. Uh, Cause we'll be there with the table. And I'm going to bring some of your guys' books, uh, Twin Peaks Unwrapped, if that's okay with you. I haven't talked yeah, to you that'd about be awesome. this, but do I was going to put them up. Are you sure going to have the... enough though? We're down to under a hundred here now. <laughs> Yeah, well, sure. last time we looked, we're at 92, but this is by May. I think we'll have some. We'll have 82 yeah. by May. So. Well, maybe. Uh, let's hope <laughs> for a little. Let's hope that we're in the 70s by April. Let's hope. I don't know. But uh, I was going to bring some Twin Peaks Unwrapped and the Frost book and um, Laura's Ghost and all that. So we'll have a lot of good Twin Peaks stuff. And um, I'm so excited to see Charlotte. I love her so. Jen is going to be Charlotte's handler for the weekend. So she'll be helping with autographs and all of that. And um, it sounds like a great event. I mean, I know that they've sold half their lotted tickets in wow. four hours, so I would get on it. It did sound, from that interview you had, even me, and I have not been vaccinated yet, so until that day comes, I'm not going anywhere. But man, I really wish I could go to this because it does sound awesome. So I'm gonna hold off in two years and they do it again and go to that one. Man, right. it does sound really, really awesome. Yeah, I know that she was, she wanted to get uh, other celebrities and it was in the works, but then the budget just didn't quite work out. But I told her like, it's better to grow. Like yeah. she wants to yeah. do this every two years. And I'm like, start off at this level and then, um, then grow at that point. So I'm sort of excited. I just really want to go do something. Like, right. Yeah. Been a I hear year you. Of, of just 
sitting at home. I mean, Aaron's my only friend. That's why we're friends. Just, <laughs> <laughs> she only knows me and I only know her. So and she's probably breaking up with me after this book comes out and COVID's over. Your connections anymore? I'm gonna make my own. I'm, I'm gonna take over the Twin Peaks world. I'm gonna be the new Scott Ryan. And for the record, "Just You" is not my favorite song. In case you didn't already pick up on Scott's sarcastic uh, attitude over it's here, it's nobody's favorite song. We know. We know. <laughs> uh, it gives me nightmares sometimes. Especially, especially when Scott decides to sing it. Uh, oftentimes I will send her singing it, but I think this is, you know, I think you guys should ask Erin some questions about Twin Peaks just to put her on the spot. But I'm, I'm gonna tell this story about Erin watching Twin Peaks and then, you know, you guys tell me what you think. All right. The, the first thing is Erin and I were friends for probably eight months. And I had never mentioned her watching Twin Peaks. I think I'd mentioned it, you know, I might talk about the Blue Rose or something, but I don't think she really understood what I did. Then she watches one Twingo with Ben and Rose from the Double R. And then she watched the pilot of Twin Peaks without telling me, cause she was like, I don't know, after I saw that Ben and Rose thing, I really wanted to watch. So first I'm like, oh, knowing me and I do this magazine and I'm doing all this <laughs> stuff, not enough to watch Twin Peaks, but but anyway, she she binged the entire se seasons one and two in 30 days, I would say, about. So. And what I thought was fascinating is all of the things that we, as like obsessive Twin Peaks people, she did not go through at all. So I, I, when I have a friend go through Twin Peaks, I don't tell them anything because I think you shouldn't set them up. Like, I don't say, well, after episode 16, it's going to suck. <laughs> I didn't say any of that. I just watched her go through and she never felt there was a drop off. She wasn't annoyed by Evelyn Marsh. She didn't care about little Nikki, mm. you know, all of the things that we take as this, you know, it, it's like this baggage that Twin Peaks people carry. She did not have. And I found that really refreshing to see someone who walked into it really only knowing that some idiot she knew made a magazine about it. And these other English fools played Twingo uh, <laughs> with it, you know. So I thought that was fascinating to watch somebody go through Twin Peaks new. I wonder that partly because you binged it that that you know you could have had four episodes that were horrible but you know you've gone through them so quickly that you get to better episodes or well, and I think that was part of it. And, and that was one of the earlier conversations that Scott and I had was because I didn't have to wait to find out what happened um, or what the next progress in the narrative was. Um, well, and, and, and it's important to keep in mind that I started watching Twin Peaks as soon as the pandemic hit. So I had mm. nowhere to go. I had nothing else to do. All <laughs> of my <laughs> All of my work was canceled. So I could sit there and watch three episodes if I wanted to in the evening, um, mm. because I was hoping that the world would open back up soon and, and I could actually, but what, what really hooked me about Twin Peaks, and I know that Scott had talked about it before in the months that we were um, becoming friends, is this idea of community and the art, the artistry behind it and the artistry behind the conversations that were happening because of Twin Peaks. And I've always been a very analytical um, individual and, and deep conversationalist. And 
when I started recognizing the depth and the quality of conversations that were taking place about Twin Peaks, that's what's really captured me about what David Lynch has done with all of these films. And I, you know, I'm transcribing some of Scott's interviews with different celebrities and different people mm -hmm. who have had their hands in these projects and these incredible works of art. And I feel like I'm getting an inside look at not just the expression, but the true artist behind these creations and why these conversations that are going around are so important, not just to the individuals who are experiencing and appreciating this art form, but to the continuation of society and the way that we embrace art. So I, what really captured me about Twin Peaks was yes, the storyline and the characters and the small town kind of mystery feeling um, yeah. was, it captured my, my interest with the cliffhangers, but the conversations that continued even after we got some answers is what's kept me hanging around and which is why I will probably continue to watch it um, again and, and continue to, to learn in that area. So I think I see now why Scott is so obsessed with this show <laughs> and with this community. Yeah, and, yeah. and with and, you know, I, I understand now and I also recognize that I, until years to come, I will not fully have that depth of appreciation because I've been doing this in a pandemic. I haven't gotten to go to Snoqualmie yet. I haven't mm -hmm. been able to really immerse myself in the conversations outside of Scott's living room. So I'm excited <laughs> for that. Please, world, open back up so I can talk to someone oh, other than Scott yeah. Ryan. <laughs> nice. Oh, who did you think the killer was, Aaron? Before you found out, who was your top person? You know, I actually remember having a conversation with Scott about a theory of mine about Laura committing suicide. Um, and I'd have to go back and read the messages that we sent back and forth to really fully form it. Because of course, now that I know what, how that happened, um, I can't quite recall what my original theory was, but two to three episodes in, I had a theory about kind of a state of psychosis and suicide which I don't think you had heard before. There was something about my theory that blew Scott out of the water. Well, wow. I mean, you know, it's funny because I can't remember what you said either, but there was something about the Scorch engine oil that you talked about that I was like, I had never heard anyone say that. And mm -hmm. it was again, and we should have written it down. It's because, in a text message. Because I know that <laughs> I had said like, that'd be so interesting for you to write for the Blue Rose because the reason that she got there was because of the bubble she was in. It was mm. instead of like letting someone tell you, and it had something to do with Firewalk with me, like that idea of of it. And I can't remember what it was, but it was a good idea, but you know. And there's definitely hints that Laura says, I mean, it's, at one point she says, today's the day I'm gonna die, doesn't it? Or tonight's right. the day. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's definitely times where she's hinted at that. Did Cooper say to Jacoby, you know, she he didn't she didn't kill herself. Or I thought there was something. There's been a couple of lines here and there. Laura seems to hint that she was self-destructive, that she might kill herself. So I can see how you could go get go to there. And you know, Aaron did sort of drop a little um, hint in there that I feel like you know, whenever there's an announcement to make, it's a good place 
to be to make it here. She talked about transcribing some of my interviews because she's assisting me in my follow-up book after Moonlighting, which is it all right if I tell what I'm going to do next? Yes. Only, yes, only yes. if it's only if it's related to Twin Peaks because that's all well, people want to hear. So it's got to be no. Twin Peaks. Right. Okay. That that's that's a deal. You know, I actually have never written a book about Twin Peaks. Is that right? You and you guys have a book about Twin Peaks and I don't, that's not fair. And I can't live with that. That's just been no. killing me. So my next book that's coming out in June, 2022 is called Firewalk With Me, Your Laura Disappeared. And it's a 30th anniversary tribute to Firewalk With Me. Wow. I've been doing some really, really great interviews with people that are hard to get and I'm not gonna list those people yet, but um, I'm learning so much about Firewalk with me that I didn't know. And that's actually what I'm writing right now, which is so funny because I'm doing Moonlighting Press, but like my head is in Firewalk with me right now, which is, mm. which is kind of exciting. But um, Aaron knows all the secrets. So, because uh, she's been helping me transcribe, because uh, I'm horrible at that. I can send you some Bitcoin right now, and you can just, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> um, and then after that, I'm going to do a book of all of my Twin Peaks interviews wow. from the Red Room, the Blue Rose, and the Firewalk with Me book, and they're going to be complete transcriptions, not edited down. They're going to be the whole conversation wow. that I've had with. Um, you know, Cheryl Lee and Julie Cruz and Ray Wise and Sherilyn Fenn, um, all the people that I met at the festivals when I've done roving Red Room podcast interviews, uh, Mark Frost, of course. So Aaron and I are co-doing that book together, um, but that's not going to come out probably till 2023. So that's because there's so many. I mean, I've probably yeah. talked- Are you sure you in one book? I mean, that's- it's that's a lot it's gonna be a huge book it really yeah. is are we gonna have volumes volume one volume two? <laughs> i actually don't know what we're gonna do with it because aaron keeps saying well how many interviews do you have and i'm like i'm on another one i got another one because even when i was at the twin peaks festival like i took my recorder around and like talked to um oh i'm gonna feel so bad that i can't think of her name who's the not naomi watts from mulholland drive laura something but i can't think of her last Her name. Har harling yeah so harling? like i've i talked I'm to too. her there and you know all those people i'm gonna put them all in one book i just want right. all of my twin peaks interviews together and aaron's gonna write the introduction and um so, I say you should you shouldn't say right now that you're not going to edit it. I mean, I mean, what I love at least with Twin Peaks Unwrap the book was the idea of like you take all this information and you and you realize there might be similar stories or there's similar things and you you could you do it any style you want. But I love the idea of maybe matching things together or putting things together. Maybe there's a great conversation from this actor and maybe there's another one from this one and they can kind of have a conversation. I don't know. I mean, that's just one style. But oh, are so you you're really... saying like mix them all together? Yeah. If if. If it, if it works, if there's times where they're talking about a similar topic or an idea, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a lot. I mean, that's probably what you do anyways when you've done Moonlighting Book and these other books is you kind of, these conversations kind of come together. I, I don't think you should hold yourself to say that you're getting the raw interview because then you're... 
Well, the thing is, is um, I I recently interviewed someone, and I'm going to hold on to the name. It's not David Lynch. I don't want people to think. I'm never interviewing David David Lynch. Lynch. (laughs) I didn't get David Lynch. I don't try to get David Lynch. I'm probably the only person in the world who doesn't want to interview David Lynch. That's not my kind of conversation. Like, I get what David Lynch's shtick is. But, like, I don't want to interview David Lynch. But anyway, we had such a great talk about... (laughs) 90s movies that has nothing to do with Twin Peaks and like so it you know wouldn't make it into my fire walk with me book it wouldn't make it into the blue rose but you learn so much about the person and that's what I'm saying when I when I'm saying it's going to be unedited like I don't want to hold myself to only talking about David Lynch and Twin Peaks because The way I interview someone, which you guys might want to take some notes so you could have a good show for once, um, is I like to go where the conversation goes. Right. I think we're out of time, Scott. (laughs) Andreas is not, he's he's ringing the bell. He's, no. So anyway, and those are the things that Aaron will help me with, because we really, we work together well on this book, and I've been wanting to do an interview book, but it's going to be massive, is going to be massive, and That's I awesome. really can't do it by myself. And so... Well, um, well and what, what Scott was, you know, starting to, to go down was when he interviews somebody, you get who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. So you might be thinking, well, I can read interviews by other people, but Scott really has a way, and I guess this might be why we're friends, um, of drawing out what's really underneath the predetermined answers. You're not going to get the scripted responses. You're going to get who that person is, who that character was on a much deeper and sometimes emotional level. And I think that's Mm. what makes Scott's work so impressive and Scott's interviews even more impressive is because you really get to know that individual. Um, You can tell that they're going beyond the answers they came into the interview with. And sometimes it gets uncomfortable because he's challenging them in a very subtle and not um, obvious way to challenge their own perceptions of their answers and their responses. Mm. So that's, that's what I'm really looking forward to continuing to transcribe and have a part a a role to play in that development because you do get to see those raw responses and i think that's what what makes this so incredible that's awesome oh thank you aaron you're so sweet um (laughs) um and and that's why i sort of need someone else's help on this book is to know when because it's you guys know when you're you're in the middle of something, you know what it was like because you were there. Mm-hmm. And then, but how does that translate when you that podcast goes out? Like, right. and so those are the things um, that I've been working on. But uh, the Firewalk With Me book is really going to be interesting. Um, that is not available for pre-order yet because it's too soon. <laughs> yeah. But it right. will, we'll, we'll um, probably in the fall or something. Um, I'll put that up because I'm still working on, I have a, you know, someone agreed to do the forward that's pretty big, but now that it's getting closer, I haven't had it nailed down. So those are part of the reasons that I haven't um, got all that worked out, but I've written a couple chapters and it's really, I've learned a lot. I mean, I love Firewalk With Me best. That's my favorite part of Twin Peaks over one, two, Three or even the pilot. To me, the heart of Twin Peaks is Firewalk with me and Cheryl Lee's 
uh, performance and Cheryl has agreed to do another interview with me <clears throat> when I'm done writing the book. I asked her if I could write the whole book and then talk to her when I'm totally ready. And she was nice. like, yep. So there, nice. I will be using excerpts from my previous uh, interviews with Cheryl, but I want to do like a fresh one about the legacy and how Cheryl feels 30 years later about it. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. And Blue Rose Magazine, I mean, is there anything else to share on, on any uh, future issues? And yeah, we're, I'm taking this issue. year off. Um, I'm taking the year off from the Blue Rose because as you can see, I got about a billion things <laughs> going. <laughs> uh, so I just could not do issue 16 this year. I just, because I really want to focus on Firewalk with me because as I say, this really is my first book about Twin Peaks. So I really want it That's to something. be good. So I'm going to do that. We will be back in 2022 for an issue 16. I'm certain of it. We just, yeah. I need a year off. Yeah. Right. But, um, and I think this might be an announcement too. I don't know what's out there and what isn't. But to sort of let there be something so the Blue Rose name doesn't fall away, Blake Morrow is going to do a special issue in the fall called The yeah. Art of Twin Peaks. And he is uh, curating all of this art from fans. We have a couple David Lynch disciples, celebrities who are going to create new art for the issue, which I wow. think is very exciting. And Blake, have you guys ever talked to Blake? Has he been on the show? We've talked to him. He's not been on the show. He is so um, brazen. It seems like a negative term, but I mean it in the most positive ways. His ideas for this issue are insane. Nice. I have had nothing to do with it. I'm, I'm <laughs> doing, not, it's all Blake. Blake is managing, editing it and doing, getting the people and everything. So I actually, he passes ideas by me, but that's gonna happen in the fall. So that'll be, so the Blue Rose will be around, but it won't be like, me, John, and Courtney, and Matt Marone. Like, it won't be a normal. We're all taking a year off. And Blake is going to put something out that's going to be incredible. It's it's that's really awesome. something. Is, uh, is it going to be the Blue Rose Magazine, or is it going to be a whole separate thing? So we're calling it the Blue Rose Magazine Presents the Art of Twin Peaks. So it is not, because right. I, I didn't think it was fair to call it issue 16, because we're not gonna have what we do. It is gonna have some interviews and I'm actually interviewing someone for it. And I think Courtney might be too. So I just said, we're not doing anything and yet we are, but but, <laughs> but like normally I have to get everyone to do everything. And like, it's a lot of work for me to do an issue. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of behind the scenes. Blake is doing all that. I mean, Blake is in charge. I'm working for Blake. So okay. I'm just, I'm doing a very small thing that Blake wants. Um, but you guys should have Blake on when the time comes, because honestly, I don't know. But that yeah. is in the fall. So that's the Blue Rose for now. Nice. Well, Scott and Aaron, it was great talking with you. I We always say, how can we follow you? And if there's anything else you want to say about what we talked about before. We... Yeah, I mean, definitely go, go to fishtailpublishing.org or Blue Rose Mag or Scott Ryan Productions, and you can find Aaron and I there with all kinds of links. Um, we appreciate you letting us come on. And, you know, if you're listening and you think, I don't want to read a how-to book, remember, I'm a comic. She's a storyteller. This book is very readable and it's very funny. There's a, 
our our different personalities come out um and like i said andreas is in the book as well and i know you're having him on and i just want to say andreas is the sweetest man but he holds another distinction i have never been kissed by any man more than I've been kissed by Andreas. <laughs> At every UK fest, he, because, you know, he is not American and Americans, I love Ben, I love Brian, but the chances of us kissing each other are really slim. Very I mean, slim. there's going to be a lot I of alcohol. I have like trip or something. I have to actually trip into you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we might hug yeah, we at hug. the airport. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I just remember Andreas kissing me so much at the UK Fest that my wife actually talked about it. And I liked it. Like, I, I mean, I'm not being homophobic here. I know you're not allowed to say anything anymore. I don't please culture me. I actually enjoyed kissing him. It was very warm. It was Aww. his personality. So I was fine to kiss him as well. But um, he does hold the distinction. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know if I'm the man he's kissed the most. Find out in <laughs> part two of Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Yeah. Yeah, I know I kissed I kissed Scott. It was, um, he's a wonderful man. I, I could kiss him any day of the week, you know? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, I, I think he, he didn't mind it all that much, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure he's that used to, you know, bearded guys kissing him yeah. or falling over him. But uh, I mean, uh, Scott's a lovable man. He's he a very is. kissable face. Very kissable. Yeah. Oh face. yes, <laughs> a kissable face. <laughs> right, you know we're recording right now. We're recording oh, this. Oh, oh, oh okay. Dad, <laughs> yeah, you just start the show then. Who, who do we have on today, Ben? Hey, Andreas, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing, I'm doing fine. And you? Good, good. And you've got you've got a new book out, and I think that's why we have you on because we want to talk about it. It's a uh, Beyond Television, right? That's in the, your new book. It is, yeah. And I see the cover, and the cover does have some Twin Peaks references, so there is Twin Peaks in this book, right? Oh, indeed, indeed, there is. <laughs> I mean, we have <laughs> well, uh, Twin Peaks is one of the. Um, there are many, many different shows that are mentioned in the book, but uh, there are sort of uh, some more central cases in the book and Twin Peaks The Return or well Twin Peaks the third season whatever we call it is is one of the central cases in it naturally but sort of so so Twin Peaks it's not just there on the cover because it has a great design but uh, and it looks great um, but um, but because Twin Peaks is actually a major part of the book there are also interviews with Sabrina Sutherland and Mark Frost in, in it and among many of the interviews. So, what made you decide to write this book? I mean, you've wrote, you've written about television in the past. What was it that gave you the idea to like write this book? I guess, well, TV Peaks for me was never a Twin Peaks book, actually. TV Peaks for me was a book about changes in, in television over the last, like, say, 20 years or so. And yeah. uh, But focusing on one case and, and one sort of very popular um comment or notion the idea that twin peaks changed everything and you've delved into that yourself yourselves many times and on many occasions uh, on your podcast for six years so you you've sort of i'm sure you've explored that that question to its very limit right uh, yes and so but but for that reason because that was my main case um 
or really my only central case, it became seen as a Twin Peaks book. Mm -hmm. uh, in some, I guess in some circles, like in the Twin Peaks community, that's fine. But um, outside of the Twin Peaks community, uh, that can be almost like seen as sort of a pejorative or something negative, like mm -hmm. uh, in the academic circles. I mean, um, I was even called a Twin Peaks masturbator in a Danish oh. newspaper. So there you go. But um, <laughs> and uh, and I do love Twin Peaks. And yeah. I and well, uh, <laughs> you you heard me talking about kissing Scott and stuff. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. So I guess I am I am uh, a warm-hearted person, I guess. But <laughs> but I mean, uh, I didn't I didn't see it that way at all. I mean, I actually saw it as a okay. I can't hide the fact that I love Twin Peaks, but yeah. I thought of it as a fairly um, sort of tempered, um, nuanced look at the question, did Twin Peaks actually change television? And if it mm. did, how? Um, but then that question has always intrigued me, not just did Twin Peaks change television, but how has t television changed in general? And I uh, happened to co-create two Danish books. The first one we published on ourselves or on our own. It's called Jansen uh, for Wiederkommen. That means nothing to non-Danish speakers, but television for the advanced, I guess. Mm. Or not television 101 at least. And it, this was the first Danish book. It came out in 11. It was the first Danish book to ever deal with, or the first Scandinavian book actually, to deal with what happened in American television from the end of the 1990s through the early 2000s, the cable revolution. Hmm. Published it on our own. Nobody in Denmark wanted to publish it because, well, it's sort of such a small niche or whatever they call it. But um, it ended up becoming quite a popular book and uh, um, and sort of almost like a touchstone in in in, in Scandinavian um, academic publishing. So I wanted to further investigate that and. Um, to then branch out and instead of looking at television through one major case as one prism, i.e. Twin Peaks, I wanted to look at how has television changed looking at different kinds of television shows uh, in order to hopefully give a broader and more uh, fulfilling perspective on the, Ameri the American TV landscape. You have a forward by uh, uh, Harley Payton, and I'm curious to know how Harley Payton got involved with this. And it's funny because we think of Harley Payton in Twin Peaks, but he's done a lot of great work, especially recently with some of the stuff he's been involved with. I really like the stuff he's been working on. Can you tell us how did he get involved with, uh, with doing the forward? Yeah, well, um, I've visited Harley in, in, in the US and um, I've gotten along with him fairly well, I guess. I mean, mm. uh, on a sort of semi-professional basis, so I yeah. wouldn't ever think of him as a friend. I suppose we're Facebook friends and stuff, but then mm. many Twin Peaks fans are, and I don't think that you can't really call anyone your friend who wouldn't say the same thing. And I think Harley <laughs> would consider me a, I don't know, um, somebody he knows, right? Yeah. Uh, and but um, I asked him. You know, uh, because we've talked a lot about television and had a fairly lengthy interview, whether he would want to write a forward for this book, because it's, yeah. uh, um, and I know he's interested in not just Twin Peaks, but in 
uh, how the landscape has changed altogether. So um, he said yes. And, and, and as a matter of fact, uh, I'd also asked Tim Hunter, who had said yes himself too. But um, then Tim Hunter wanted to read the book from, you know, end to end. Uh, and uh, I thought that be became too much of a, uh, I mean, a job for him. I didn't want him to want yeah. So I want him to have the book and read it. He's quoted in it because I've interviewed him, but uh, I, Holly Payton's forward is not uh, is not based on his knowledge of my book, but on his knowledge of how television has changed. So he's sort of coming at it from a productional standpoint, and I come at it from a different uh, point of view. And that's actually kind of, that's how to see the entire book. The book sort of has three levels. I um, and and you can see it in terms of the color scheme, which is also reflected in the, in, in the, the cover. Actually, we have sort of the uh, the pink like color, which is used for feature interviews. Uh, mm. That's almost like breakers at the end of each chapter. We have feature interviews with major uh, producers, writers, and directors: David Chase, David Simon, Nick Pizzolatto. Sam Levinson, Derek C. and France, Jesse Armstrong, right, Tricia Brock, wow. uh, people, people like that. And those are at the end of each chapter. So they sort of, um, they come at it from a productional standpoint. Some of the same ideas that I come across in my more analytical chapters. And so, so I have historical chapters, then I have analytical sort of um, features where I sort of delve into specific shows that reflect the major uh, historical tendencies. Then I have these feature interviews. And then once in a while, there are sort of small uh, minor interviews or one page interviews um, that are on a sort of a blue background. So reflecting the, the other major color on the, uh, on the cover. So there are sort of different voices in the book. Mine is just one of them. And how long does something like this take for you to write? I mean, like, I, it feels like a lot of work to put in all this, all these interviews and get out and, and, and dive deep into this stuff. I mean, what is the process like that for you? Well, it's interesting that you said that this is your, that you've been doing this for six years. Uh, because that's what I write in the, the opening of my book, that this book has been six years coming in a way. Wow. wow. I've essentially worked at it for six years because, uh, well, I began doing uh, some of the interview stuff back in 14 and the latest interviews to be included were done in 2021, just at the sort of the beginning of this year. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had a few others lined up, but they fell through just at that moment but um so i've done a hundred different interviews or more than a hundred but a hundred interviews at least over the course of six years and i've always had a sort of a major magnum opus like in mind that they wanted these interviews which were locally interesting for me to become part of a larger narrative but uh, not until i had like I'd say not until I at least had like 20, 25 that I would consider myself media interviews did I think this was even publishable. I suppose in, in, in the US, you would think of it otherwise. You would think of it in a, in a different way. But in Denmark, I mean, 
it was actually kind of difficult to convince a Danish publisher that it's interesting to read a book where you've interviewed David Chase about Sopranos, David Simon about The Wire, Peter Gould about Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, wow. and stuff like, and Bo Willeman about House of Cards and stuff like that. And there's no book like that in Europe. There's nothing, no book that's e that even compares. Even if you don't like what I write, my analyses, I mean, just the interviews in and of themselves. There's mm. no book like that, simply nothing. But, um, they still consider it a small book and they wanted, so finally I got a publisher to do it and they wanted to publish it in 800 copies. And that, fair enough. I mean, if it sells, if it ends up being sold out like your great book. <laughs> I mean, I'll, it'll second be printing, like, you'll get a second printing, right? I mean, yeah. if it sells out, then you'll earn nothing from it, even if it, even if it's a great <laughs> success. And it does, I'm, I don't mind. But I'm sure you have the same feeling with your book. I mean, yeah. uh, that you've sort of, you began with your podcast mm -hmm. and then you interviewed people and it started snowballing. And the minor interviews, some of those are very interesting too, by the way. Yeah. And then s s suddenly you start interviewing like uh, Dwayne Dunham or... Uh, <laughs> And then what's Carl McLaughlin and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. And then, okay, well, we can do something else with this. We can sort of, we can sort of put bookends about uh, around it. And, and, and this will, this will function as a book in and of itself. Yeah. And wasn't it that how it developed for you? I think so. I mean, it really did. I mean, I think that's a lot of it where, you, yeah, you start building on it and you realize there's something here and there's something we want to last that you, we want people to have in their hands and be able to use. Yeah, it's, I think it really yeah. did kind of turn out like that. It, it's to outlast the podcast, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. And I think, it, I think it's a wonderful book. And I think what you do in your book, although my book is, is different and it's sort of torn and it's, it's from an academic publisher, so naturally it's kind of different. I think... I'm absolutely certain that some of the newspapers in Denmark, at least, will find it too academic, and many of the real academics will find it not academic enough, uh, because it's sort of seated in between. I've written it in a very, I hope, it's absolutely not sort of uh, pretentious. I hope not. It's it's meant to be fairly easily accessible, but it is an academic book, so in that sense, it differs. But what your book has that I hope my book has too, I write about that in the opening of my book is that, well, we have these major writer producers, sort of the great showrunners and stuff like that, those top of the line creative persons. But for it to be a very interesting study of how TV production has changed, I wanted it to include sort of the below the line creative sectors too. Like uh, uh, sometimes people forget or dismiss those people that uh, uh, like the sound designers, the editors, the composers, uh, um, or even smaller, more minute areas. And, and you get different narratives from them, different stories. So it, together it becomes an interesting story. That's yeah. awesome. I love behind the scenes production stuff. Um, I, anytime, you know, like I think... Um, you know, recently with streaming, there's not behind the scenes stuff anymore mm -hmm. for movies. I mean, luckily Disney Plus with WandaVision gave us a behind the scenes featurette. Um, but like generally a movie comes out, everybody consumes it in a weekend and we don't talk about it ever again. And, and I miss <laughs> having a physical copy 
of a favorite movie of mine and watching all the behind the scenes stuff. And I think Twin Peaks- DVD it, commentaries, those yeah. have kind of gone away. I used to yeah. love the DVD yeah. commentaries, like the directors and the actors talking about making it. And yeah, yeah. I mean. And since, and since that's what my entire book is about, it's called Beyond Television, TV production in the multi-platform era. And I argue that many people claim that television has changed um, or even that TV series have moved beyond television, not just because we watch it uh, outside of a traditional TV set or that it's moved outside the box in that sense, but also because they produce it differently. They create these series differently. Then I feel that my analyses are in, interesting, but, but essentially in the end, they're insufficient. I mean, to understand how they differ if they actually do, we also need to ask the people who actually create them. So, yeah. and you'll know, as will most Twin Peaks fans, that, well, Twin Peaks, the return was cross-boarded. They, so it is actually sort of very concretely shot in a way that differs from a traditional TV show because mm -hmm. they've shot it uh, based on location and actor availability, not based on like a, a traditional schedule where you have one show uh, being uh, taped while another sh uh, episode is being <laughs> so on and so forth. Right. So it is, it is shot like a movie, even if that's something that all TV people say. Yeah. And Andreas, yeah. what, what, can you tell us like one of your favorite uh, interviews that you've done for this book? I absolutely love talking with David Simon, of course. He's always mm. very, he's a, I'd say he's very generous and he's easy to get, mm. get he, it's easy to get him to talk. But um, it was interesting for me uh, to sort of delve into uh, television um, instead of, um, and, and veering away from the political aspect, because usually at least in sort of a Scandinavian context, whenever he's interviewed, he's interviewed about the political situation in the US and, uh, <laughs> and he's, I mean, he, he'll naturally talk about Donald Trump. I mean, follow him on Twitter, <laughs> that's all he writes about is American politics. But uh, I feel that's interesting perhaps, but for my book, it wasn't really that interesting. Uh, his political point of view, fair enough, and it'll shine through because it's him, but I wanted him to talk about some of the specifics in terms of television and how television history has changed because I know he'll have something to say about that too. So that for me was interesting. Um, then I have to say that talking with Bo Willeman and, and Peter Gould was very interesting for me too. Peter Gould uh, talked about, uh, we talked about uh, um, very sort of technical stuff or, and then we talked about uh, the creation of the lookbook behind Better Call Saul and how Whereas Breaking Bad was inspired by William Friedkin and the French Connection, they wanted to veer away from that when doing Better Call Saul. So they had created a lookbook uh, with, with some stills from um, Vittorio Storaro's work for uh, Il Conformista, The Conformist, an Italian film by Bertoluzzi, and then they and some images from an also film called Tokyo Monogatari or Tokyo Story, and some other stills. And then they had given that to Arthur Albert, whom I've also talked with, like he's the, the uh, one of the directors of photography, and it's to sort of tell him, well, we wanted to initially be very different from Breaking Bad, but then slowly, gradually, we want those two worlds to connect. 
And as we are moving also in terms of narrative, as we are moving closer to, to Breaking Bad on the timeline, so it's almost in a way similar to Twin Peaks to Return actually, that I mean, uh, it begins Twin Peaks to Return visually in a sort of stunningly uh, different style that's more similar to Eraserhead, but mm -hmm. then gradually you can sort of see the original Twin Peaks and the new Twin Peaks uh, becoming part of the same story, the same universe. And and I think that was a, there was a similarity there. That was definitely interesting. And Bo, and Bo, Willimans, uh, Bo Willimans was quite interesting uh, to talk with. I mean, House of Cards, um, he, talked, uh, he talked very much about, um, I don't know if he did that because I'm Danish, but he knew a Danish director that I have never ever heard an, an, a, a non-Danish person talk about, to be honest. Mm. It's, it's a director called Jan Lett. Um, I mean, many of the people I talked with talked uh, about Dogma 95 and how they were inspired by Winterberg and Von Trier and stuff like that. So, of course, they mentioned Danes or Ingmar Bergman because, well, Sweden and Denmark are almost the same, right? <laughs> but, but before we have Dogma 95, before we had Lars von Trier, we had Jörn Lett, who made uh, films from very specific parameters, um, very strange um, documentaries and arthouse films that were made based on very specific dogmas, rules that he, um, very stylistic rules. And, and Bo Willeman was in, told me that he was inspired by his movies, especially a short film of his called The Perfect Human from 1967, hmm. which you can find it on YouTube. It's stunning. And it looks like something from French New Wave or something like that. But it doesn't look like House of Cards at all. So how, how could you ever come from that point to House of Cards? Well, he said, well, in this way, because House of Cards if, if sometimes you think, well, this is strange, it's sort of distant, you seem, it, it, it has sort of a strange clinical look to it and it's not that engaging in a way and sometimes it might be even alienating. Well, all of that was intentional because he and David Fincher had created some very specific parameters. Where can the light come from? What kinds of colors can be in the palette? When can the camera move and stuff like that. And all of that was inspired by Jörn Led, apparently, wow. a director that in Denmark is known mostly for having become, having been a bicycle or a cycling commenter. Common, uh, he is very famous for his commentary for Tour de France and stuff like that, but who is also an art house director. So to me, that was very interesting. That sounds interesting. I, I love it, man. I would say to read this. And so where can people get your book? I mean, I believe it's on Amazon. Is that right? It is. It'll be out in June. Um, I mean, it is already out, but um, apparently the distribution is a lengthy process and perhaps because it's from a Danish uh, academic publisher. So mm. and that's a fairly small one. So, But it'll be out in June. Uh, and I hope people will, even if they, I mean, my analyses are my analyses and the cases that i've chosen to look at are of course my own choosing and people can disagree with those or dislike them that's fair enough but i'm hoping that um that they'll find it to be an interesting narrative of 
how television has changed throughout the last 20 years. It begins with a chapter on sort of television history, the, the stories of television history. Then we go into the cable revolution and we finish that with a triad of interviews, a small cluster of interviews with Tom Fontana about Oz, David Chase about The Sopranos, and then David Simon about The Wire. Then we go into the streaming era. We finish that with an interview with the two creators of Lillyhammer and of course, Bill Willimon of House of Cards after a sort of a lengthy uh, analysis of House of Cards and it's sort of its cinema-ness and its TV-ness. And then I go into sort of, sort of the global aspects, the global turn, as I call it, in the modern TV landscape. And I finish that with um, an analysis of different works by Haggai Levy, um, uh, an Israeli TV creator who co-created The Affair with Sarah Treem. He also created Bitty Pool in Treatment, and then uh, an Israeli show, very interesting one called Our Boys. And, and I finished that with an interview with Kelly Lugenbiel, who is uh, vice president at, at Netflix of, of local language originals, and one of the major figures behind this whole localization strategy when Netflix, because perhaps because Netflix are having problem in term, problems domestically, they are becoming outcompeted there, but internationally, the international numbers are going upwards. Yeah, uh, and, and they are at this point out competing their domestic numbers. Wow. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why they're beginning to focus on Nigerian originals, Danish originals, German originals, stuff like that. Mm. So, yeah. And then the last part, the, the second part of the book is about uh, changes in storytelling, genres, and style. And of course, Twin Peaks is the central case when it comes to style. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, The Walking Dead is a central case when it comes to storytelling together with Twin Peaks, actually. And then when it comes to genres, I focus on the dramedy genre, the cri uh, crime fiction, and then um, and then uh, teen drama. And mm -hmm. here we have a cluster of interviews at the end of it with uh, Sam Levinson about Euphoria and Nick Pisolato about True Detective and then Jay Duplass uh, about his work on transparent and togetherness. So it's sort of, well, I hope it's a story about how television has changed in the last 20 years, focusing primarily on TV from your neck of the woods. Uh, because, well, when push comes to shove, I have seen more American content than I've ever seen Danish. I, that, I, you know, I, you know, I was going to ask you about that, Andreas, about Denmark television, and like, because you, you know, you mentioned how in Denmark they're seeing this book as well, it's a smaller book. Nobody, you know, it's a niche, a niche thing. But in America, a book like this, you know, where it's it, everything's about streaming services and content, and hmm. um, so the culture obviously is very different. Now, how? In Denmark, I guess my big question is, how did you get your hands on, like, how did this American content get to Denmark? Was it through streaming services, through DVDs? I mean, how did you, like, what was the first American well, they show? They broadcast it on, on Yeah, the, yeah. What was the well, first American show you watched that was like, oh my God, I got to see more? <laughs> well, Twin Peaks, naturally. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, and then, but that, I was nine and 10 years old back then. 
So, but that totally uh, took me aback. That was the reason that I wanted to uh, start trying to create different montages using old-fashioned, like physical editing. Um, I did that when I was in school, and um, so Twin Peaks was what essentially made me want to go to film school or to study film. And that was the first major show. But oh, mind you, back then uh, we had essentially two channels on Danish television. Apart from sort of German channels and stuff like that, we had two Danish channels. One major channel, like the Danish Broadcasting Corporation or company, IDR, which was it's a state-funded public service channel, right? Uh, a major one. And they they aired Twin Peaks without commercial breaks or any such thing because it's not a it's, it's not a commercial station. And 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 then we had one other channel, TV Two. So that was how it was really, essentially back then. So we say half of the Danish population watched Twin Peaks. There were major parties wow. at universities where, and uh, when they re-aired it in 97 uh, on a smaller DR channel, it's part of a larger network these days, they had all these interesting prologues before the programs. And even back then, like back in 90, there's an interesting uh, interview that I just stumbled upon the other day where um, uh, a fairly famous, in Denmark, a fairly famous uh, um, gay sort of chat show host who unfortunately he ended up dying. Very, very lovely uh, and, and very strange, very charismatic uh, chat show host. He had sort of a music program back during the time when the original Twin Peaks came out where David Lynch came on suddenly uh, to introduce uh, to introduce this mortal coil. Wow! <laughs> so, so and, and this was you know this was just at the uh, after um, this mortal coil had well said we can't be in blue velvet because well it will cost you and so they ended up not using that track and we all know afterwards it ended up being in Lost Highway but we had all these strange small prologues about how to create American Pie or what's Snoqualmie like, or <laughs> stuff like that. So, but that was a totally different era. Back then, if you ever wanted to watch American American television, you would watch it on one of those two channels. And essentially, DR being a public service, state-funded channel, they were wary about, it. they didn't, didn't really want to have too much American content. Well, they did have some, also some very soapy stuff, but they were kind of wary about it. So they didn't really have that much American stuff. We would have to watch it on VHS or through other channels. But then everything changed in the late 1990s. Other channels had, had emerged and uh, DVD box sets and stuff like that. And then, well, today is a totally different situation because now we can stream everything. Mm. We have like Paramount Plus and HBO Nordic and uh, uh, Netflix, uh, Disney Plus. So I think today, like a Dane is consuming, 85% of what a Dane is consuming is American stuff. I think something to that mm, Wow, wow. So it's just a totally different situation. I mean, it's That's not a closed wild. circuit. American stuff is global. But, and, but what is really different these days is actually, and that's, I suppose, an even more interesting turn, is that now local stuff is turning global too. So now you are actually watching Israeli series that yeah. are text that have subtitles, yeah. not 
not like in treatment, the American version overseen by Haggai Levy, but like our boys, Israeli and Arabic, that's it, subtitles. It's So all those small local things are becoming global. And so that's a major question. How will that change like global tastes and stuff like that? Because certainly dark looks, although it has similarities with Twin Peaks, it also has a very evident German vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And some of the sort of smaller chamber play like Scandinavian series have a very Scandinavian vibe to them also because they often are about sort of people who are not that happy or <laughs> semi-alcoholic and stuff like that. You know, oh, it's always dark out. And then, well, Icelandic series. <laughs> I mean, t- yeah. t- t- talk about like series that are very specific to a certain region. Yeah. Like, so they're so informed by being an isolated island uh, that has always been in this sort of ambiguous relationship with Denmark because they're really part of a sort of Denmark has been a colonial power, as you know, uh, and, and so. Uh, so Icelanders are usually very independent, independent-minded people. Uh, they have a ambivalent relationship to Danes, uh, Danes, and they have a very unique history and such an interesting landscape. And all of that infuses their storytelling in a way that is now becoming exported to the rest of the world. And uh, I mean, I've never even been to Iceland, but I feel I know Iceland through. Icelandic literature, Icelandic music, Icelandic films and television series. So I think that part of the story is really even more interesting than the fact that American stuff is coming to Denmark because it always has been. Mm. Um, but I'm also historically, I'm also looking at how when Denmark, they had what was called a sort of a golden age in Danish television in the 90s, starting with Ríð, the kingdom. Lars von Trier series that you know, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's like, that was Lars von Trier uh, almost placating. And I think he would actually, um, he would admit that he was making his Twin Peaks, right? I think they're talking about bringing that back again, or they've been trying oh, to they bring are. It. He's creating, yeah. yes, uh, for a wow. streaming service called Via Play. And uh, so just after Twin Peaks was revived, now they're reviving Riel. And that sort of initiated a, a Danish. Uh, an era of sort of a golden age in Denmark. But what's interesting is that um, when that happened, what part of what created or precipitated that change in Danish television was that a producer in Denmark called Sven Clausen, he went to sort of a study trip to the US where he was part of or watched the making of NYPD Blue and stuff like that. Mm. On the side too, I think. Yeah. So. Those, that kind of handheld aesthetic, location, shooting style, he brought part of that back to Denmark, even if Denmark had had a few series like that in the 80s, but he brought that with him to Denmark. And that became sort of very much a part of how Danish film and TV series were in the 90s. It became much more handheld. And so in a way, when I talked with Jesse Armstrong about succession, he said to me, it's interesting. I said I, I said to him, well, do you know that some people have said that Succession uh, has revolutionized the way you shoot and edit a TV series? And I said to him, 
Paul Schrader, the writer of Taxi Driver, whom you know, has disagreed with that vehemently, saying, well, he's taken all of that from Dogma 95. <laughs> <laughs> then Jesse Armstrong said, that's interesting, because I did. Actually, we watched Festen. Uh, I screened that for the entire crew, and I said, and I pitched the show as Dallas meets Festen. Wow. And, and But the thing is, so today you'll say, oh, Dogma 95, just look at uh, another round these days, very talked about at the Oscars, right? Much of what's happening right now in television might be inspired by Dogma 95, but Dogma 95 in a way was part of a wave in Danish film and television that was inspired by a study trip going to the US. So, um, so I mean, yeah, you can say it comes from Dogma 95, but you yeah. then five comes from homicide nypd blue that then again goes back to casavetes or whatever right yeah yeah, yeah. those kinds of cross influences That's or cool. how different cultures and, and different uh right countries influence each other stylistically interest me greatly yeah, yeah. that's awesome well, Andres, it was so good to talk to you i don't know this might be our last time on the uh, for our you know, we're ending in june here but uh Full circle, full circle. Full circle, yeah. I hope it's not a, the last time that I get to see you. I hope that there'll be some sort of a event. Uh, I hope so. Twin Peaks Festival, so uh, closing. And uh, so, but I hope we'll see each other again. So if, yeah. and if we don't see each other physically soon, right. I could blow you a kiss, right? Uh, <laughs> kiss is back. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're hoping next year, maybe there'll be, you know, we'll, something will be going on. We can all meet up in New York or something. Right. So, And I want to believe there's still going to be Twin Peaks events. I mean, it seems like it's going to be sanctioned by, is it Lynch Frost or, or Showtime, Showtime or something like that? Yeah. I mean, that was the idea before the pandemic was that they were going to have more festivals. That yeah. Really yeah. And so depending on what what's what's going on these days, right? Yeah. All this under wraps, but I mean, once they've produced what they are apparently perhaps producing, all of that, was it Unrecorded Night or Wisteria right. or whatever yeah. people, we don't know really what that is or what it'll be, but then- Do you think it's Twin Peaks? No. <laughs> no, well, no. I don't really know, but I had sort of a feeling it might be, um, Mulholland Drive spin-off, but uh, yeah. or it might be just something. I mean, he has loads of unproduced stuff, right? Yeah, so he does. Um, to be honest, I'm not even sure if I wanted to be Twin Peaks. I mean, yeah, it's like something new. Something I mean, different. I love Lost Highway. I love love yeah. Mulholland Drive. I love a lot of his stuff. So, but I hope uh, we'll get something. Yeah, yeah, a new so. favorite. We'll get a new favorite from him. You know. That, that would be wonderful. But yeah. what's, ne what's next for you, huh? Well, I don't know. We're finished up in June. I mean, that's what, right now. We're just so focused on the podcast, getting that done, and then who knows? Yeah, and then we'll we'll be back for our specials when you know any David Lynch projects drop. But that'll be it. Yeah, I mean, it's maybe it's when, just... maybe when they have the uh, the uh, unrecorded nights or whatever it's going to be called, we'll have to get you back for that. Like maybe we'll come back for specials when when, when that drops, and we would yeah. love to have your take on uh, whatever new thing Lynch does. I certainly hope that I get to uh, to see you again, like uh, like uh, back in uh, in the in uh, like in the days of 
of the Twin Peaks UK Fest. But uh, yeah, see, and we right? saw you in New York. I think you were, yeah. we, we were in New York. Yeah. We got to spend that was time. in New York. Sorry, yeah, it was in New yes. York. Yeah, right. It was uh, it was for the Split Screens Festival. Yeah, right. yeah. I had mixed stuff around. That's right. It was uh, awesome. that was a great time. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, uh, I know that Scott has just because I I wrote something for him for that book about pu- self-publishing. Yes. I think that entire book to me is very interesting. That the entire idea, which also encapsulate your encapsulates your work, mm-hmm. right? the, the entire uh, sort of that DIY um, ethos. I love it, and I think. Um, there's much to be said for sort of those kinds of passions, passion projects that that come from people who just uh, have a burning desire to get something out, and 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 uh, who focus less on sort of uh, commercial aspects and more on uh, on the idea of getting you know something across and something out there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So um, I'm happy that you uh, that your podcast has has been so. It's been so great and has had such a long life uh, and it's sad that it's winding down but it makes sense i mean six years is a long time yeah and we're lucky andres to have you on the show we're lucky I we know. always love you when you're on and I, I i think you're just a brilliant man and you've got so many well, great things to say and i really recommend everybody pick up your book beyond television go go check it out on amazon thanks a lot you are truly brilliant guys yourself right yeah. and uh, Andreas, uh, real quickly, um, where can people follow you online? My name, Andreas Helsko. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, on Twitter, on Instagram. It's not that I use Instagram all that much. I am, I mean, people who've listened to this podcast will know that I can, you know, guess I'm talkative, right? So uh, I, I fit more into that. And also I'm 40, right? So <laughs> I fit into the Facebook uh, realm, really, where you can write lengthy, lengthy diatribes about nothing and people don't read it. But uh, you can find me there. You can find me on Twitter. Um, right? Uh, or, or well, I suppose you can also find me in as part of your team, your group. Right? I'm in your, um, yeah. your yeah. group on yeah. Facebook, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you like uh, you like this episode, you got a comment, question, or theory, give us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Like us on Facebook at Twin Peaks. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. Subscribe to us on YouTube. And get yourself a copy of Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book, because we are approaching only 90 copies left. And once they're gone, they're gone. And thank you, Scott and Aaron and Andreas, for being on today's show. And we'll we'll be back in a week or two. Mm-hmm.